0: everybody and welcome to this week's episode of the unconventional gal forging your own path with me your host Cherokee you probably hear my husband's cracky ankles as he walking. He's walking out of the room. Um, also he just vacuumed up his toenails Cherokee. <laughs> All right I'm asking you guys a question We're doing a poll. I file my toenails. He clips his toenails. I think clipping is gross because they like fly everywhere and they're super sharp. They're like little needles and I step on them and they hurt or I like roll over in bed and it stabs me in the back. But he thinks it's gross that I file because then like my toenail dust gets everywhere. But I think toenail dust is way less offensive than toenail shards. So who's right? Let me know. Message me. Tell me who's right in this in this battle. But I know you guys are all on my side because I'm obviously always right. Anyways, hello and welcome to this week's episode. I'm very excited to have my podcast back and now the ball is rolling and I'm feeling like I'm getting my groove. A couple weeks ago, I told you that I was recording multiple episodes in one night. This is the night and I am on my third episode and I am getting tired, but I am ready for this one because I am really passionate about this topic. So today we are talking about imposter syndrome. If you do not know what imposter syndrome is, imposter syndrome is the condition of feeling anxious and not experiencing success internally, despite being high performing in external objective ways. This condition often results in people feeling like a fraud or a phony and doubting their abilities. 25 to 30% of high achievers suffer and 70% of adults may experience in a lifetime. So I think sometimes you'll hear like, you're really hard on yourself. You're an overachiever. Sometimes that can be a bit of imposter syndrome, but it's basically like you are The top of your game externally, you're the CEO of your company, you're at the top position at your work, you're gold medal, Olympian, but inside you're like, I suck, I'm not good enough, I'm not as good as that person, I'll never be the best. Like that's why it's called imposter syndrome, because on the outside you're doing it, but on the inside you feel like you're not, you're not good enough. So you feel like an imposter. It's very common. Like I said, 70% of adults may experience it in a lifetime, so it's very, very common again, 25 to 30% of high achievers suffer. So even more common in people that are high achievers and high achievement doesn't necessarily need to be like CEOs. Like you could be a high achiever in like you're the top store manager of a Walmart. Like that's still a high achiever or you're best gymnast in your town. I don't know. Like you can be a high achiever without being like the highest achiever in the world and still feel that pressure and still have that imposter syndrome. So according to Dr. Valerie Young of the Imposter Syndrome Institute, who knew there's a whole institute for this syndrome? Um, There's five types of imposter syndrome, five types of imposters, I guess. So there's the perfectionist, which is kind of self-explanatory, literally, like you have to be perfect in everything, like everything you you do has to be done to the best of your ability. I feel like my husband is a little bit of the perfectionist where he hyper focuses like when he's working on something. I'll be like, you know what? It's great. It's good enough. Let it go. And he's like, no, I have to do this last tiny little detail. And it's like everything has to be done down to the T that's perfectionism where you have to, you, you feel like it has to be perfect before you're happy with it. And the thing with perfectionism is that there's no real definition of what's perfect. It's basically you just putting impossible standards on yourself and setting yourself up for failure and to feel like an imposter. The next type of imposter is the natural genius. So you're the top of your class, your whole life, you know, going through school, you're the valedictorian. It was all super easy. Like, you know, you hear people, I never studied a day in my life. I aced all my tests. I got straight A's. I was a 4.0 student. And then you get out of school and it's kind of the big fish in a small pond goes to be the small fish in the big pond. So yeah, like maybe you were the top of your class and school came easy. But then when you get into the great big world, everything doesn't just come to you. And you have to struggle or actually have to work hard as you age or you climb, you know, the work ladders. So then that's when you feel like you're an imposter, you doubt yourself, because it's not just coming easy. And you're not just having it handed to you. And it's not just like, you know, flowing really easily. So then the next type is the rugged individualist. So this is somebody that feels like you aren't a success if you ask for help, like you think asking for help is a sign of weakness. So you have to do everything on your own. And even if you question something, you have to figure it out. Like these people tend to make things more difficult for themselves. I think these people also tend to not work so well in groups, especially when it comes to workplace things. But that also is kind of as the perfectionist, you're just setting yourself up for a failure because the thing is, is like at some point every human needs help, whether it's emotional help or actual, like you need to ask a question, you need clarification, you're not really sure how this thing works. Like, think of like, you know, scientists that develop life saving technology and treatments and things like that. It's not just a scientist in a lab coming up with everything in their brain, it's a scientist bouncing ideas of off of other scientists and looking at other data and other studies and other clinicals to figure out, you know, what's going to be the newest wave of this. It's a feedback loop. And if you don't have any kind of feedback, then you're just, you're just bouncing yourself off walls, being hard on yourself. Then there is the expert, similar to the perfectionist, but the expert feels held back if you're not 100% prepared. Say you have a big presentation to the CEO of your company tomorrow and you have not covered every possible question or outcome or whatever in this presentation. Like you will stay up till five in the morning for your 6 a.m. meeting to make sure that you are 100 percent prepared. You can't always be 100 percent prepared for everything for what life is going to throw at you. So, you know, that's another one where you're just setting yourself up for success. Nope, not success at all. You're setting yourself up for failure. (laughs) So yeah, being the expert is great, but you also have to know that there's going to be some times where there's a question asked or an issue that you come across where you don't know the answer. And that's totally okay. It does not mean that you're an imposter. It just means that you're a human being that's learning, you know, whatever it is in your field. Then lastly, there is the superhero. So the superhero is someone that needs to succeed in every area of life. So the perfectionist is a perfectionist in one thing at a time, that's kind of James. He's very hyper-focused. Like he has to do what he's doing very perfect. Whereas a superhero is kind of a perfectionist, but in everything. So you need to be successful in like, you have to have the most perfect family, the most perfect husband, your kids have to be well-behaved so you can show everybody that you're the perfect mom. And then you're, you know, working 50 hours, 60 hours, 70 hours a week, you're at the top of your game career wise, and then you wrote a book that is going to be a wild bestseller. And it just kind of sounds like me. <laughs> I feel like I'm maybe a little mix of the natural genius and the superhero. Um, but yeah, but you know, it's, it's that like, having to make sure you're successful everywhere. And I think the superhero comes in a lot with social media. And I think a lot of quote unquote social media influencers tend to to feel imposter syndrome from being the superhero because it's like all that pressure for your life to look perfect and look like you're succeeding in every piece. And you can't let that facade down that like, yeah, like your kid crapped all over the walls and you were an hour late to your meeting and you... Gotten a fender bender on your way to work. And you know, like, not every day is perfect. Not everything in your life is successful. But the other thing, too, is like, just because things look perfect doesn't mean you're successful. And vice versa, if things look like a mess, it doesn't mean like that you're not successful because we're all human beings, we're all fallible and we all have bad days. We all have bad moments. We all have moments where we don't have the answer to a question or we plug the wrong number into the formula or, you know, your daughter, your 13 year old daughter tells you she hates you or whatever it is where you feel like a failure, but it's not a failure. It doesn't mean that you're an imposter. It just means that you're a human being. So my experience with imposter syndrome, I definitely have experienced this definitely many times in my life. I think, like I said, I'm a mix of with the superhero and the natural genius. So when I was growing up, I was in TAG, which is this funny little program in the 80s. It was called Talented and Gifted. They actually got rid of, well, I, they, I think they still do it, it's just called something different. So in the 80s, it was called talented and gifted. And then I think like in the early 90s, parents complained because they were like, well, my child is also talented and gifted. Why are they not in that program? I guess the wording was offensive or whatever. Essentially what it was is like, I just tested higher than kids in my grade. So what they would do I think it was like an hour a day or maybe a couple hours a week. I would go into a special, it was, it was called tag. It was a special class. They would take me out of my normal classroom, me and like maybe 10 other kids. And we would just do schoolwork that was more advanced. So we would do like independent research projects. I did. I remember the first like research project I ever did. I think I was in fifth grade. And we we could do it on whatever we wanted. We could pick whatever topic and we just had to have like a thesis and, you know, it was just setting us up to like kind of learn how to write a research paper. And I did mine on witchcraft. (laughs) I'll never forget it. And um, when I, so we also had to do a verbal report, a I think that was what it was called, a speech, a verbal. What is it called when you give a report? A I just gave a report. Like I stood up in front of the class and I actually dressed up like a witch from like the Salem Witch Trials. Like I had like the all black and the white collar and like that was my thing. I'll never forget it. That's one of the only things I remember about Tag. I also remember building, we would build, if anybody remembers that game Mousetrap from I think of the early 90s where you would build like a Oh, I can't think of what it's called. Basically, you'd build a track for a marble to go and it was like a I'm going to have to ask James. Hold on. Ladies and gentlemen, my husband is a genius. An obstacle course. So you essentially built an obstacle course for a marble so it would like, you know, roll down the little thing and hit the thing that opened the thing and whatever. So we essentially made like huge life-size mouse traps. So we would use like toilet paper rolls and foam things and whatever, but they were huge. Like they were, they took up the whole classroom and it was, you know, just a way for us to use like physics and reasoning and whatever. But I do remember making our little mousetrap obstacle courses and those were super fun. Anyways, I digress. So TAG, in later years, it, they called it discovery, I guess, to be less offensive. Just so y'all know, yes, all of your children are talented and gifted And don't be offended by a few stupid words because some kids just need more stimulation and that's okay. And some kids too were taken out to get more attention and help because they were a little bit behind. So, you know, I think it was actually, I feel really lucky that my school had that program. I actually was in TAG all the way through high school, all the way through my senior year. So like, um, I remember like in my science classes in botany or whatever, I would just get extra work. I would be graded on a different curve And I would get like side projects and whatever. And I liked it because it challenged me and it challenged my brain. But I'm a school person and I like school. But that's also where the natural genius thing comes. I never struggled with school. So you also have like my husband, James. He's super intelligent. He's an audio engineer. He has the most mechanical brain of any human ever. He's wired the electricity in half of our house. He can build furniture. He can do so many things that my brain can't even wrap itself around, but he was terrible in school. He didn't finish high school because he wasn't good at tests. He wasn't good at school. I was good at tests. I was good at school. I just have a natural propensity for that. So I was the natural genius where school was just fun. I loved school. I was the kid in August that would be like, yes, it's time to go back to school. I can get all my school supplies and put my name on everything and get my school clothes and my sparkly shoes and read books all day long. And that's all I wanted to do. The book fair, if you guys remember the Scholastic book fair, I don't know if it was the same for everybody else, but when I was in school, we always had the book fair the same week as report cards, uh, uh, parent-teacher conferences. I always loved conference week because I always got straight A's and then my mom would take me to the book fair and she'd buy me a bunch of books as a reward. So like all my friends would be like, oh man, I got my conference today. And I'd be like, yes, I can't wait. Time to buy some books. And I would get scary stories to tell in the dark and uh, Ramona Beasley, Judy Bloom. Oh man, so many books at those book fairs. But anyways, moral of the story is I am not any wild genius. I was just good at school. And then once I got out of school, I realized that like life doesn't just come easy. There are things that's hard there. I've had jobs that have been hard. I've had, you know, things in life where my natural intelligence, my natural ability didn't just let me fly through. So that is you start to feel like, wait, maybe I'm not smart. Maybe I'm not intelligent because this isn't coming easy anymore. And it's like definitely a weird like, "Ah," like the brakes are screeching and you kind of you lose your your mojo. And that's the other thing too, is that I am a know-it-all by nature. I'm not sure if you guys can tell from this podcast, but those of you that are listening that are my friends, you will know this very well. I want to know everything about everything. I think it just comes from maybe from my tag days where it's like just that thirst for knowledge. I love reading. I love learning. I love history. I love science. I love geography. I just want to know it all but I want to like literally know it all. And sometimes I have to check myself that like no human brain can know it all. And I've gotten much better as I've gotten older at admitting when I'm wrong. Like if I'm like, no way, this is definitely this thing with someone. Like I'll do it with James all the time. And then he's like, no, it's actually this. I'm like, no, you're totally wrong. And then I Google it because I'm a know-it-all and I want to be right. Nine times out of 10, I'm right. Cause I'm super smart, but that one time out of 10 that I'm wrong, I will admit, all right, you were right, I was wrong. And even if it's like days down the road, when I come across that information, I will go out of my way to be like, hey, remember that thing we were talking about? You were totally right. But in that know it allness of myself is definitely that feeling of like, if I am talking with someone or debating something with someone, or like just trying to add to a conversation, if I feel like, I should know it, but I don't. I definitely get that imposter syndrome, so that's where like this this I think the superhero thing comes in, or maybe it's the expert I don't know maybe i maybe I'm just an, an imposter in all at all angles, but definitely the the know it allness in me definitely leads to the feeling of imposter syndrome for sure. that's the other thing too is that being in an ever evolving professional field. And feeling like there is too much to ever know. Like being a know-it-all is hard when you are in a science-based field and science is ever-evolving. I am an esthetician. And a lot of aesthetics is physiology and anatomy and ingredients, which is literally just chemistry. And, you know, what we used on our skin that science told us was great 100 years ago, we do a lot of things different on our skin that science tells us is great now. I do try to stay really on top of educating myself. I take lots of classes and seminars and I go to lots of conventions and I have all the subscriptions to all the professional magazines. I try to stay on top of things, but there's really just too much in my field for one person to ever know and to ever be like the top expert you know the you feel held back if you're not 100% prepared like there's definitely times where a client will ask me a question or have a skin concern or whatever have something unique where I'm like dang I don't really know or like we've tried everything I've got every tool in my box and it's not you know helping the situation but the thing is especially like with skin Say you have hyperpigmentation or say you have acne. Acne is a perfect example. There's lots of topical things. I can tell you to drink more water. I can tell you to cut dairy. I can tell you to stop taking your D supplements. There's lots of things I can tell you to try, but there's about a million things that you could potentially try. And there's about a million different combinations of things that you can try until you find the right one. So yeah, I'm an expert in my field, but I'm also not like a God in my field and that sometimes is a hard pill for me to swallow because I don't like when I hit those points of I don't know but usually with my clients it'll be a I don't know let me look into that I'm never gonna say oh, I don't know good luck <laughs> see you later okay, I'm always at least gonna try but those points definitely make me feel like an imposter and I have to be gentle with myself in knowing that like, I, I work in a field. I mean, we all work in fields where you can't possibly know everything and you can't possibly have every answer to every question. I do think though that being self-employed makes it like there's more pressure on me and makes me feel the imposter syndrome more because one, I work alone for myself. So I don't have, you know, like if I worked in a spa and that somebody had some specific issue, I could just be like, hold on a second and go walk out and talk to like the five other estheticians that work there. But I don't have that luxury. So I think there's so much more pressure of like, finding information and finding correct information and giving people, you know, the right answers and helping people, I think, especially because most of the reason why I got into the field that I got into is because I want to help people. So when I don't have the answers, and people are frustrated with their their skin concerns, it's like, Ugh, like I beat myself up over it. I also have a lot of expectation from my family. Like I hear a lot from my family, like, oh, we never had to worry about Cherokee. And that goes in a lot of ways as far as like, I never got into trouble. I finished school. I got into college myself. I did it all myself. I took care of myself. Like I never was reliant. I never asked for money. Like there's so many things that like I just did. And yeah, like a lot of it is because I'm resilient. and I'm in, I'm smart and you know those things that like I give myself benefit for but some of it was just the luck of the draw and the other thing too is like just because I'm resilient and I'm good at things and I'm smart and self-reliant it doesn't mean that like I don't have points where I falter like I will always have to ask my mom questions about accounting (laughs) and also like I also will always have struggles with my mental health and it doesn't matter how put together I appear on the outside I still have days that I can't get out of bed I still have days that I don't want to live like I you know that it just doesn't go away and I think when you appear to be so put together from the outside especially when you're the superhero it makes people think that um, you don't need help or that like you're okay and then that puts more pressure on you to be that and to not need help and to not ask for help and to be okay. And then that also like perpetuates the imposter syndrome. Like, oh my God, I have this like impossible standard of myself that other people have put on me to live up to. But like, I'm still the human living inside of that shell that other people are expecting greatness from. So it's. Like as much as it's nice to to hear that, like, oh, we don't have to worry about you. Like you've got it together. It's also like, oh, but like, what about the moments that I don't have it together? And like, it's just a lot of pressure. And that's the other thing too, when you're, when you live in a family where a lot of people around you struggle and you seemingly have it all together, it makes it feel like you can't fail because then it's going to strain the people that are struggling even more. And so it's like also extra pressure of like, I have to succeed. I have to succeed. I have to be perfect. And that also makes the imposter syndrome, the feeling of it way stronger. Going back a little bit to social media, like I was talking about with the the uh, superhero is just everyone on social media looking so successful and so perfect, even not influencers, but just people in general. Like I'm sure we all have those friends where you're like, wow, like how is she so perfect? Like she's always super put together and her kids are always spotlessly clean and like she's got this great high-powered job and and it's like I think we all have a sense of like what's real and what's not when it comes to celebrities and like major influencers on social media where you're like "Mm, okay yeah like they look perfect but they probably also spend like five thousand dollars a month in like Botox and injectables and facials and the nutritionist and a personal trainer and like, yeah, their kids are perfect, but they probably have like four nannies. So I think it's easy to kind of see through that. I mean, we all still fall for the trap, but I think it's easier to see through it with celebrities that have a ton of money. But I think people around us that are really good at kind of curating their life on social media, where you're like, wait, I went to high school with her. Like, we're the same age and we live in the same town. Like, why is she so successful? And like, my life is such a mess. I think that creates this like weird imposter syndrome. I think there should be like a a sixth category of imposter syndrome, which is the like the social media imposter. <laughs> but that's the thing you have to remember is that those people on social media that appear to be so together, they also are feeling imposter syndrome with themselves, with what their life appears to be to you versus what it actually is. So you know, we're all living in our own little struggle bus. And that's the thing too, is, you know, there's when you are an influencer or a celebrity, or even just like everything looks perfect on social media, there's so much pressure of keeping up all the highs in the life. And then when you're not like you feel like you're failing when you're going through rough patches, but you need to keep the image up. So it's like a constant loop of imposter syndrome. And I've definitely fallen into it on social media, I go through phases. Like I go through some phases where I'm like, I just want everything to look like happy and shiny and perfect and great. I definitely felt that a little bit in my last relationship, like when things were not good, because I just didn't want to like talk about it or acknowledge it. So it was like extra pushing, like everything's good. Everything's good. I'm so happy. I'm so happy. But now I feel like, I don't know, over the years, I feel like I've started to be more honest with like mental health struggles and, you know, talking about divorce and failures in life. And I think that's where this podcast is so cathartic for me because it allows me to not be that perfect and like have just like all highs all the time so that I can just be a real human and it alleviates some of that imposter syndrome. So how do we fix this? How do we fix imposter syndrome? The thing is, is that there's nothing wrong with wanting to be good or even be the best my sister and I were talking about this the other day and everyone has a different perspective, but her and I are on the same page where we're not a, a super fans of the participation trophy. She was telling me that she um, got out of the car and she was racing the twins. She's like, I'll race you. And she was beating them because she's a 30 year old woman and they're five year olds and she has very long legs. And she was like, Oh, I totally won. You totally lost. Like, you know, she's ribbing him a little bit. She's not being a jerk, but she's just like teasing him. But she told me, she's like, I want to teach my kids that there's no participation trophies, that there's a winner and you try your best to be the winner. Not to say that, like, if you're not a winner, you're a loser. But what she's really trying to teach them is that there's nothing wrong with wanting to be the best or trying to be the best at what you're doing. In fact, it's very healthy. It's healthy. You know, if you get a participation trophy every day of your life when you're a kid and you never learn to like really work for it, then when you get into a workplace, which is real world, you don't get a participation trophy. And if you don't really work for it, you're not going to be the one that's promoted. You're not going to be the one that's the CEO. You're not going to be like me, that you're running a business by yourself because you were never taught to like really want it or really work for it or really fight for it. So there's nothing wrong With wanting to be good or even be the best. But the harm comes when we turn our thoughts from I can do it to I'm not good enough. And that's, I think, the thing where the imposter syndrome comes in is like keep being your own cheerleader. If you're succeeding, celebrate that. And I think that's the other thing too, is in our society, we're taught that like if you celebrate your successes, you're cocky or you're self-involved or you're a narcissist. Yes, there are people that are narcissistic, but I think that term is used way overused in just describing people that are like, proud of themselves and celebrating themselves. There's nothing wrong with being stoked at getting a promotion or being stoked at winning a pinup contest or being stoked at the successes in life. You are your own best cheerleader. They always say fake it until you make it like look in the mirror and be like, I'm gonna kill it today. I'm fucking awesome. I'm super smart. I know what I'm doing. I've got this. But don't let the, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not as good as that person. Don't compare yourself to other people. I've talked about this before in previous podcasts, but I think the comparing yourself is where we really start to downfall with imposter syndrome. I have started, you know, I'm human, so I don't always succeed at it, but I try to measure my success against my own best instead of measuring my success against success. I don't know where that T came in. Um, My own success, I compare against my best. So I try not to look at other people's successes and compare mine to theirs because we all work at our own best. Like I might take a test and get a 70%. And that was like, man, I really did it. That was my best. It's cool. And this other person might've got a hundred, but just because they got a hundred and I got 70 doesn't mean that like, I didn't do my best and I'm not still awesome. It's the same like in pinup contests, you know, like getting best hair and not getting first place doesn't mean that like, that's not your best. Like maybe your hair was freaking awesome and you spent so long doing it and it's amazing. And you still got that little trophy or that little sash. Like that doesn't mean that because you got first place, you're just a total loser. Like you stack your own successes against your own best and not other people's. The other thing too, is what you perceive as someone else's best might not even be real, especially if you're looking at social media. And also know that you can and will succeed without being hard on yourself. Some people are the participation trophy people where it's like, oh, everything has to be positive and everyone's a winner. But then you have the opposite, like, you know, coaches of gold medalists where it's like, you're a fucking loser. And like, you're n- never going to be anything. And if you're not the winner, you're the first loser. Like... You don't have to be so hard on yourself. And just because you have a few small defeats or you lose a few battles doesn't mean you've lost the war. And just remember that like, there's always going to be setbacks. There's always going to be bad days. There's going to be days, like I said, in my studio where like I don't have the right answer or I don't know what someone, you know, what will fix someone's skin. That doesn't mean I'm a failure. It doesn't mean I'm a bad esthetician. It means I'm a human being, you know, with a specific skill set that isn't working in that situation. And it just means that I need to to do more to educate myself and do my best. And if I never come up with that answer, that's okay because I'm a human being and I'm still a freaking awesome esthetician. And I know I am. I know I'm really good at my job. So I don't need to be hard on myself. The world beats me up enough. I don't need to beat myself up. The other thing too, something that I suggest if you're feeling imposter syndrome, a lot of people make to-do lists of like goals, like what you want to achieve. And sometimes when you look at that list of all the things you haven't done yet, it can be really overwhelming and really daunting. So instead I'd suggest doing the opposite. Make a list of what you have achieved, like all of the things, all of the goals you've met, all of the awesome landmarks in your life, all of the, like just your achievements. And it could be in relation to something specific, like in your career or whatever, or if you just want to like hype yourself as a human, just like, what have you achieved? Like you were valedictorian of your class, you got your associate's degree, you have a super awesome health insurance that you worked really hard for. I mean, I don't even know, like whatever it is that you did, make a list of your achievements. And I think that helps morale a little bit better than making a list of what you haven't done yet. There's nothing wrong with making a goals list, but I think making an an achievements list will also help a little bit. And also, especially too, if you are feeling that imposter syndrome in one specific avenue, make a list of your achievements in that avenue. And I think that gives you more perspective of like, oh, wait, I do know what I'm doing. Like I am really good at this. It'll help just like keep your brain in that positive space. Also, know you will make mistakes and that is okay. You learn from them and you move on. So, you know, there's been times in my studio that I've used the wrong product, grabbed the wrong thing, or suggested something wrong for someone, or you know, had a client with sensitive skin and I used something that was just a little bit too rough and they had a little bit of a reaction. Like my, my business is a learning curve. My industry is a learning curve and it's okay. I'm going to make mistakes. My clients trust me. They trust that if I do make a mistake or something goes a little sideways that it's okay. We'll fix it. We'll move on. We'll find the right product next time. But there's no use beating myself up. There's no use like, Oh my God, like, I'm so sorry. I'm the worst. Like I understand if you never want to see me again, you know, like there's, there's no use beating yourself up. Like, you just have to acknowledge that you did something wrong or you made a mistake and then keep moving and just get better knowledge in your brain and educate yourself a little bit more so that the next time you don't make those same mistakes. The other thing I suggest is finding a mentor that works in or understands what you do, but doesn't work at your place of work or in your personal circle. So, for example, like, let's say you work at um, a spa and you have an esthetician there that you really admire that has been doing it for a long time, but you work with her, probably not the best mentor. Maybe like get in an esthetician group on Facebook and find an esthetician that does what you do, that you admire what they do, but they're not working directly with you or, you know, in your circle of friends so that it's somebody that you can bounce ideas off of, somebody that you can talk to, someone that can mentor you, that that doesn't directly affect your work. Or like, if you make a mistake, it's not someone you're going to be afraid to be like, oh, I really fucked this up. Like, what do I do? Because, you know, if it's someone you work with, then you're like, oh, what if they tell my boss? Like, you want somebody that's a safe person that you can really vent to, that can be really honest with you, and that can keep you inspired. And it doesn't necessarily have to be somebody that is like above you in your field like when you hear mentor you always think oh someone you like look up to or someone that's at the top of their game it can also just be like a buddy in your field like I definitely have SD friends I have a few friends that I went through school with that like we've kind of moved through our careers together where it's like oh man I did this thing today and it's like oh it's okay dude like I've done that before You know, where you just have somebody to like make you feel like not the worst person ever and like someone to be your cheerleader. That's the thing, too, is like make sure that your mentor or your inspiration buddy isn't someone that's going to be a negative Nancy or that's going to like make your imposter syndrome even worse, but somebody that's going to hype you while also being honest and like being a good place to to throw some ideas out. All right. That was a long first segment. So we're going to take a quick break and then we are going to come back and I'm going to answer some questions and tell some stories about imposter syndrome. All right, friends, we are back. So just quickly before we get into the rest of the meat, um, if you would like to become a podcast sponsor, please email me theonlycherrydollface at gmail.com. You can sponsor one episode. You can sponsor many episodes. I am a self-funded, basically. So if you have a small business that you would like me to hype, I have a really good followership, listenership. Also, if you want to become a supporter of the podcast, you can actually just donate whatever you want weekly, not weekly, monthly, or just one time. You can do that through Spotify podcasts. Also, if you want to submit to questions or stories for future podcast topics, please follow me on my socials. I am at the cherry doll face on all socials. I usually submit for stories and questions on Facebook and questions alone on Instagram. So follow me on both. Um, I love the more people contribute, the better. I have more juicy topics that way. And if any of you have ideas for future podcast topics, please message me. I would be happy to take them. Okay. So first question is from anonymous. I was literally just thinking of this earlier today. I'm a cosmetologist based out of Las Vegas and I work at two salons here in the Valley. I have always had a passion for hair but didn't pull the trigger on working in a salon until earlier this year. Now that I am here and I am banging out amazing hair, I can't believe it I'm actually any good. I don't believe it when people say they're happy with their hair. My mind kind of bullies me. I know it isn't just because I'm new to a hair salon environment because I do lash extensions as well and I've been doing it for a few years now. Still, I can't trust that my work is actually any good. I do this with my friends and family too. Anything I can be remotely any good at, I immediately tell myself I suck, lol. Is that imposter syndrome or is that just negative self-talk? Honestly, I don't know enough of your story to really be able to say either way. It could be a mix of both the thing that makes me think it's imposter syndrome is that you said yourself, now that I'm here and I'm banging out amazing hair, I can't believe I'm any good. So you literally said the hair you're doing is amazing. But then you said you just can't believe it's amazing. And that right there is like textbook definition of imposter syndrome. So it's like, you know, it's good. But then you're like, but is it any good? But am I the best? Like, I don't know, I probably suck. Like, I think that's just you talking yourself into so yeah, it's the negative self-talk is what is creating the imposter syndrome. So get out of your head, get yourself some self-confidence, get yourself a hype friend that's going to tell you how great you are, and I think you'll be okay. And also know that it's totally normal. All right, couple, qu- uh, couple a yeah, couple stories. Yeah, a couple stories. Jennifer Louise Enneper said, "'I am definitely struggling with it right now. I was physically and psychologically abused growing up. It took me until I was almost 50 years old to heal. Some of my old friends, family, most assuredly my parents, still treat me like the unhealed version of myself.'" I have done so much work to overcome my traumas, which were a lot. So now at 50, I decided to return to college to study psychology. I'm a stellar student. I was on the national presidential honor roll. That's amazing. When I get around family, I am reduced to nothing and I believe it. When I write really great papers and I am in my element, I feel like I don't belong there. I have to talk to myself all the time and tell myself where I don't belong is in the place that I left and that I'm doing great and making a difference. What a mess trauma does to our heads. So, I mean, that's another perfect example. Maybe another category that should be added to the imposter syndrome is the trauma the the trauma imposter where it's like you know that you're great and when you're in your element you're great but it's the trauma of the family life and the people around you that are telling you you're not great and you hear it so much that you start to believe it but again you're saying that you're a great student and you're on the national presidential honor roll like you know that you're amazing so you know maybe just distance yourself, like, find yourself a new group of friends, find friends at school that, you know, you can have them tell you how great you are so that you can actually believe it. But I think you do believe it. I think you just, you know, you have to fight with that trauma when you're around the friends and family. And that's, it's kind of crappy. But I mean, I guess that's just kind of the nature of trauma. Okay, I so this one, <laughs> I'm not batting so good with saving stories and questions. Last week, i left off the last half of a story. This one, I actually left off the name of the person who submitted the story. So sorry to this person, you are going to be anonymous. Such a good topic. I'm so I'm sorry, so many can relate to it that we're even talking about it. I was named on a national top 100 list. And I still do a little awkward dance around the topic when someone asks me what I do. I'm a photographer. I had a few early successes when I was young, but my family always treated it like a pipe dream. So I gave it up for 10 years, went back to it after my abusive marriage broke down and I needed something to hold on to. My family still treats it like it's my little hobby. In fact, my mother didn't believe my portfolio was mine because it looks like stuff you see in magazines. Duh. It has been in magazines. Even a Michelin guide. That's amazing. Good for you. Still, I can't possibly have enough clients to make a living and should just get a proper job. It's so hard to not let it get to me some days. This is so similar to the last story. I think I don't know. I think we need better families, honestly. It is really hard when you have a job that looks like a hobby to most people. And I find that too. Like someone close to me calls my job, my little business. Oh, and Cherokee has her little business like, I don't think people realize how demeaning that sounds. Like, no, I don't have a little business. I just have a business. Like, yes, I'm a small business owner, but when you call it a little business, it's like when strangers call you sweetie or honey, it's very demeaning. It's the same thing when you're describing something that someone has worked so hard for. And I think when you're in a creative field or when you're a small business owner, people just don't understand the magnitude of it. And it is hard like when you're not getting that outside recognition, it's hard to believe in yourself on the inside. So I definitely think I got so many stories like this. And I think there should be another separate imposter category for like family forced imposter trauma imposter, but you are amazing. I'm so proud of you guys. You too, you, you're a psychology gal and you photography gal and everybody else that wrote stories and submitted things. Um, Imposter syndrome is really hard. It's one of those things, you know, it's kind of like depression. It's very easy to be like, just be happy. You'll be fine. I don't think it's something that ever really goes away, but I think it's something we can learn to live around and we can try to quiet that voice. You're never going to kill it. I don't think, I think that's part of being human, but I think that there's an amount of it you can like shove down a little and be a hype beast for yourself instead. So I hope some of this was useful, maybe some advice in here. Um, I was going to do a book club review this week, but this episode is way too long for that, I think. I don't know. Maybe when I edit it down, it'll be shorter. I haven't done this in so long and I haven't edited a podcast since I started these new ones. So I'm going to skip book club this week. I will do it next week and then um, we'll see when if if any confessionals come in, I'll add those as well. But anyways, thank you guys, everybody that has uh, continued to listen. And that is listening. Once again, I'm very excited. I'm happy to be ma- happy. <laughs> I'm so happy. I'm happy to be. Make... Good Lord, I think it's time for bed. I'm happy to be making podcasts again. And it is bedtime for me. So you know what? Don't be an asshole. And until next time, here's me waving like a maniac.